Hey everyone, quick announcement before we start. I forgot to mention this while we were recording, but the day this episode goes out is a special day. Let me take this opportunity to wish a wonderful happy birthday to Miley Cyrus, Lucas Grabeel, Chris Hardwick, Gabriel Kleinert, and of course, the 14th president of our United States, Franklin Pierce. You've all made the world a better place. Well, maybe not Franklin Pierce, but again, happy birthday to you all and on with the show. Welcome to Interparty Conflict, the podcast where we answer your questions so you can have the best tabletop gaming experience possible. My name is Gabe. My name is Jeff. And we're going to answer your questions today. But first, I have a question. Jeff. Y- yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I, uh, well... I, I was just talking to you earlier about this, but I was playing some VR today and I got very motion sick. Sure, sure. <laughs> Which like when I first got VR, I like I didn't have any issues. And I bet it's probably just because like I haven't played in a while. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so like hopefully hopefully I'll get used to it again because uh I just I just picked up a, a new VR game, so I want to get get some time out of that. But so cool. that's pretty fun. Um playing uh Sword and Sorcery, which is just like it, it like it's very Skyrim look looking combat, but it's you know it's VR. Is it Blade and Sorcery, or is it Blade and Sorcery? Oh, okay, I I think so. That's a name I've heard recently. That, maybe think. that's what it was. I can't remember. Okay. Anyway, or because Sword and Sorcery is a different game altogether. <laughs> right. I I was like that's a that's a pretty. I feel like that name's probably already taken by something. Right. Else. Anyway. Yeah. Blade and Sorcery. That's what it is. Yeah. And gotcha. it's it's mostly just a sandbox game where you're just fighting fighting guys. Sure. And, but like. Some of the mechanics are pretty neat. I think I saw a mod for that a while ago where somebody gave themselves uh, a uh, Mjolnir. Yes. And yeah. they could shoot lightning and they could fly with it. Right. Yeah. Because like there are like there's like magic spells in it and stuff and you basically have telekinesis, which is just kind of like a it's more of a quality of life thing for VR games where you like like it, it you kind of you kind of need to give your your players like some form of telekinesis in VR yeah. games just so they don't have to like bend over or reach oh, man. over Half-Life too much. Alex like yes. has spoiled me on every other game oh. because like, why do I have to go over there to pick it up? Why can't I just summon it to me? Right. And like the Half-Life Alex thing, the, the gravity gloves or whatever, yeah. like they're, yeah. they're so good. Like it so felt good. so good. They were so snappy and like, it just like, you just flicked, you just flick your wrist and things come to you and you catch it and you, Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I've been up to today. What, what about okay. you? Um, so uh, we're recording this episode a little bit uh, earlier than we usually do because after today, I'm probably going to be working nonstop for the next, uh, maybe the next two weeks or yeah. close to it. And um, I'm I'm tired, Jeff. I'm, I'm just, sorry, Gabe. I'm exhausted. It's my one day off and I've had, a, I've had to do a bunch of stuff today. I have, uh, my car was in the shop. Um, I had to go and get, and it was at the shop by my workplace because it broke, it broke down a few weeks ago down by my work. And so I had to get it towed to the nearest place, which meant that I had to, you know, get a ride home that day. And then I had to get a ride back to pick up my car. And then something, a similar thing started going wrong with my car. And so I took it back to the same place in the hopes that if it was related, it would be, it would be paid for. Uh, right. Spoilers. It was not related. So, or so they say. 
Well, I mean, I, I have reason to believe that they are telling the truth. And yeah, right. sure. Yeah. So just, you know, I had to drive all the way out. To, so I, that's like took up like two hours of my day going out there to go get it. And then also we have, we've had a, um, a couch that we got from Ikea several months ago that something was like broken with it. After, like after I put it together, it's a fold out bed, a fold out couch bed. And it, after I put it together, we, we, Fold, unfolded it into the the bed form, and then it would not go back. And as huh. far as I could tell, something about the mechanism was either missing or broken. Hmm. So we had, you know, we were going to take it back and get a replacement, but that's a big, it basically takes the whole day as it took today. And so we had to wait until a day when both Lisa and I were available and Ikea was open. And so anyway, half of my, half of my day so far has been going to get my car so that we then have a car to transport this couch Yeah, and then transport the couch. And then, oh, goodness. (sighs) Anyway, but once we're done recording, I've got a pot roast in the slow cooker. It's going to be delicious. Ooh, Skylar made stock today. So I made, uh, I made some, I made some ramen with the homemade homemade stock and it was amazing cooking's great cooking cooking is is great cooking's fantastic you know something uh depressing jeff what's that we've only got five more episodes after this one (laughs) i was about to make i was about to make a joke about like oh you know we should do uh we should make this a a dinner party conflict then i was like oh but we only have five episodes left we don't we don't want to make one of those last five a dinner party conflict unless people are really wanting it i mean (laughs) I, I mean, wouldn't mind. Heck, we could so. always we could always do like a quick little mini sode, you know, like just to just to throw no, out no. like like one one question. <laughs> we like, you know, what's your favorite food? Whatever. Right. But we do have some fun stuff planned for the upcoming five episodes. So yeah. stay tuned, listeners. Anyway, uh I, I guess that's all I got going on. I'm just exhausted and uh eager to do an episode of this podcast <laughs> no it's gonna I, th- I think this is gonna be a good episode yeah so you want to go ahead and uh and jump in yeah let's do it okay so jeff mm-hmm. you find yourself on a ship in rough seas oh the boat that you're on says ipc whale watching <laughs> as you're looking around trying to spot a whale the captain of the boat a large scaled individual points ahead and says, <laughs> I see some before he turns the boat into the cove. As the boat motors in, you see whales of all sizes. As you watch in awe, the captain says to you, I always see lots of whales here. You know what they call this place, Jeff? What do they call it? The Dragon's Fjord. <laughs> so that intro was uh submitted uh, by carl l a very long time ago actually um sorry carl i mean i don't need to apologize we get we get to stuff at, at our own pace uh so carl submitted that he also submitted uh, today's item via email and today's item is the storm lord sextant it's a rare item now of course jeff get your mind out of the gutter uh, the sextant <laughs> is, a de- is a device that you know sailors or whatever would use to to uh chart where they are based on you know looking like it's a little thing you look you like look at the stars and you line it up with the latitude or longitude or whatever Mm -hmm. um anyway so this sextant appears like any other sextant with the exception of unknown constellations carved into the body 
Mm. This sextant can be used for navigation even on stormy days. Oh. When you look through the lenses of this sextant, you will see the stars and constellations as if projected on the clouds. These stars are entirely accurate, and you'll even notice constellations you normally can't see with the naked eye. That's really cool. So so that's, you know, that's all it does. Mechanically speaking, it's not particularly powerful. I mean, it helps you navigate. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have any uh, game mechanics tied to that. Right. However, um, you know, hey, we could come up with any particular benefits that somebody might get based on knowing the stars, based on knowing where they are. What are some sort of benefits that you think uh, that might bestow upon? Um. Well, honestly, what I like most about this is that it's like unknown constellations. So this is like, this is a sextant that was used by a a different like civilization. Okay. Cause yeah, I mean, like constellations aren't universal. Like they're just whatever, whatever a group of people decided that those, that shape of stars looked like. Sure. And so like, I like the idea of you finding a sextant that points out constellations that you don't know that you don't recognize those constellations. Um, but yeah, being able to know the stars, I mean, other than, other than navigation, I mean, like there's a lot of like, like lore things you could do with it. There's a lot of like, um, I don't know, like, like there's a lot of like more flavor, flavor wise. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. Sure. A lot of world, a lot of world building you can do with that. Um, puzzles and stuff. Like you can set up a lot of cool, a lot of cool puzzles that have to do with the positioning of the stars. Yeah. And like having your characters be able to know where the stars are at basically at any time. Sure. Um, Because I I imagine this kind of functions like a little mini planetarium projector. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That that sounds pretty, pretty good, I'd say. So like, I think it'd be cool. Like if it's something you can, you know, it's you can use it like in a dungeon too, where it'll project it on the on the ceilings and walls and stuff. Yes. Okay. Okay. I didn't Um, think of that. That's pretty good. Yeah, which might even tell them like the time of day or something while they're underground yeah. or something like that. So like I, I like I see it as a really cool like it's a really cool tool for the for the DM to use. Um, sure. And for the and like and it's something that the players are using. So it's in the it's it's in the hands of the players, but it's a but it's something that the DM can use to kind of like help them along in different things. Sure. Yeah, I feel like it could be um it could be used for a lot of plot hooks mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, I also like the idea of potentially it being a conduit that uh, the players might think is a one way. You know, it's just that they can see out there. But what if when they use it, something out there can see them? Ooh, okay. I like I've heard of people using the great old one warlock pact as or warlock patron as being like some sort of a being out in the cosmos somewhere. Sure. So, you know, what if the players find this and then one of them gets contacted by a great old one mm-hmm. and then you know maybe they become a warlock and maybe they don't but at the very least it's it's getting them in contact with something that could potentially be very powerful and could lead them on adventures in the future that could come to their aid if, if they need it maybe in exchange for something in return um i don't know i i just i like the idea of this being something that the players think it's just a navigation tool but there's actually something else going on there that uh, yeah. they might not be aware of. See, I, I really like this. I can, and like, man, this is, this is giving me a lot of cool ideas. Cause like, I, I, I keep wanting to do, to put together a cool pirate adventure. 
Okay. And I, I actually I did a um, I backed a, a Kickstarter for um, roll for uh, I was roll for combats Kickstarter for the Pathfinder. Uh, uh, it was like a third party Pathfinder like supplement book and um, or like it was a monster manual book, but then they were also making an adventure path that was like very pirate themed. Oh, okay. So I got that, and hopefully, it will like I figure I figure when uh, when we're uh, when we're done doing the. Uh, uh, what, what are we? What are we? Um, abomination vaults. Abomination vaults. Yeah. Yeah. When we're done doing that, maybe by that time, we'll I'll have my hands on that and be able to. We'll be able to do something with that. Sure. Um. At the very least, I want to look through it and see. Uh, like, I want to. I maybe want to steal some ideas and stuff. You know, just to get <laughs> yeah. an idea. Because I, I do want to make like a cool pirate adventure. Um. But this, like, I, like, cause, like, okay, when you said old ones, cause I think like when people typically think of the old ones, they think of Cthulhu. And Cthulhu is more like related to like the like the unknown depths of like of like the sea or something like that's yeah not like not strictly that like it's more he's more it's more about madness and unknown or something but I like I, like you know. I I think Cthulhu does come from the sea right but that stems from sort of like the like the unknown scariness of the dark deep kind of a thing, oh I see you what know? you're saying yeah yeah um but I was th- I like like what if what if the world what if like the as far as like world building what if the world was just a giant like the universe or like the sky was actually just continuation of the ocean Ooh, i love that where it's like you're you're like an in you're like the on the inside of a sphere or like or like your world is just a bubble of a giant like an immense bubble of air within a within a world of basically sea of of the the ocean The universe is an ocean, but the world that you're living in is a is a bubble that you know, like it's it's like a sort of a you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I've always loved the I think starting with fourth edition, they really started to refer to the astral plane as being the astral sea rather than right. just the astral plane. And I love that as a concept way more than just, oh, the astral plane. I love the idea that like kind of like with Greek myth, there was the gods were like in a physical place and like all of the the you know heaven and hell and all that were like physical places that theoretically you could walk to if you knew where they were right um, i love the idea of yeah just beyond the horizon is the astral sea and yeah maybe it does co- it continue on above you maybe it is below the earth above the earth whatever um that's a really cool cosmology to yeah. to build your campaign around you know yeah, like it'd be it'd be pretty neat, and then like, it with that in mind, is so like you're on you're basically on the inside of a bubble, so like the constellations would actually the point would be points of light, which would be like maybe different like islands Ooh, al- okay. along the way. Yeah, and so the con so like the constellations you're seeing are the formations of of different islands. So it is like a map. It is like physically a map. Sure. Um, and like you're saying, like maybe other people can be looking in from, you know, like people who have these sextants, the sextants are all yeah, connected to each other in some way. So that you might Ooh. see, or there might, or there might be like a collection of artifacts that like show up as a more bright star on mm-hmm. the map. I don't know. I'm just thinking of a lot, a lot of neat ideas to use this. Like, I really like yeah. this item. I love the theming of it. I think it's really cool. Cool. And it's very simple, but it's just, I I like, I like what you can do with it. Sure. I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have much else to say. 
uh, whether it should be a rare item or something else, kind of mm. like what we did last week. We were talking about how the item in question wasn't really an artifact mechanically, but like story-wise it was. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, you could view this one in the same way. It, it, mechanically, it's, I would say it's like kind of just like a common item. It's not even necessarily mm. uncommon. Like it's, it's mechanically, it's, it's, there's not much to it, but right. rare, actual rarity wise, or story-wise, I think it could be a rare item, depending on how, if that's how you're dealing with magic items. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. As, yeah, as far as, like, because, cool. again, the rarity thing is more just a gauge for, like, the kind, like, what you should be giving your players at certain levels and things like sure. that. Uh, whereas this is something, like, this is obviously something you want to just give to your players because you want them to have it, so you just give it, so it doesn't really matter what rarity it is. Mm-hmm. Because um, this is obviously this is more of a story tool than it is like a combat tool. So sure, sure. Okay. Well, yeah. Like I said, I don't have much else, so I think that'll do it for uh, for the Dragon's Horde today. Once again, that was the Storm Lord Sextant submitted by Carl L via email. Uh, thank you very much, Carl. Jeff, if anybody else wanted to submit magic items for the Dragon's Horde, or questions for our main segment or stories for the funeral pyre or retirement village. Like we said, there's not, not many opportunities left, but Mm. we're always happy to take them. Uh, How would they get those to us? They could send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com or join us on our interparty discord at bit.ly slash interparty discord. That's correct. And uh, just one more quick thing before we get into questions, check out the other podcasts on the crit nation fellowship. Uh, Check out crit Academy, critacademy.com. Justin and the others uh, make new and reusable content for players and DMs alike. They've got great stuff. They did actually, they did uh, meet the goal of their Kickstarter. The Extraordinary Expeditions Kickstarter did meet its goal. It was like within the last 24 hours, I think, but uh, it did. So I'm really excited to um, to see what uh, comes out with that. Also check out Brute Force and Ignorance. They're an actual play podcast on the network. Uh, and then uh, a couple other podcasts that are on on hiatus, indefinite or otherwise, check out D&D Character Lab and the Kind GM podcast. Enough of all that. Let's get into some questions, Jeff. All right. Our first question comes from StiltskinKupo84 on Discord, and they ask, If you wanted to run a campaign based on an earlier edition, but the character options, races, classes, etc. hadn't been updated to the current edition, how do you proceed? Yeah. So uh, I still can Coop 84 is actually a coworker of mine. He, he was he was asking me about this at lunch a few days ago and he was asking, you know, he's saying that he had a, a campaign that he was like setting up back in fourth edition days. He had planned out a bunch of stuff and then I think it, it fell by the wayside for a while. And then I was thinking about trying to get back into it and he wants to reuse as much of of what he had planned as possible. But he planned it out in fourth edition. So it's got various like fourth edition races and such. Yeah. as you know important players in the you know in important npcs in the campaign players in the colloquial sense not in the D sense mm-hmm. and so he was asking you know what like what should i do in this situation so i i've got a few different options um you know i think this is probably something that whether they're whether anybody's going to be in this specific situation like fourth edition fifth edition and so on uh, it's really just kind of a question of if I want to include something in the current edition of, let's say, D&D, but it doesn't exist in the current edition, but it, it existed before, either in a previous edition or in even a different rule set altogether. Maybe it's something from Pathfinder, it's something from 
Vampire the Masquerade, I don't know, whatever. Uh, what are the options for getting that into your game in 5th edition, and how well would those work for the game? Right. So, uh, just off the top of your head, do you have any ideas to toss out? Well, I, th- I feel like the simplest one to toss out would be just, like, reskin a different race. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I would say that would, that is the easiest way. Yeah, just kind of... You know, maybe make a couple little tweaks or something like that just to kind of make sure that's somewhat unique, I guess. But like for the most part, just reflavor, um, yeah. reflavor existing races. Uh, you can always look at supplement stuff or like, you know, like because uh, there's been there's been a couple, at least in fifth edition. I know there's been a couple uh, books that added some player options. Um, sure. Uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters comes to mind. Um, so you can like look at those, like so you can use more options than what's available in just the the uh, the base rules. So at the very least, you have the, you know you have a couple options to to, to go off of when you're um, trying to you know find one to reskin. Sure. Uh, I mean, there's always the big task of just making up something, but like you know, basing it all, you know. Basing it off of existing races, try to try to make a new race. So just go off of the like, okay, they're gonna get a plus, you know, a plus two to this, minus one, two to that, or whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the rules may, whatever the common rules may be. Yeah. So, um, first off, let's say, let's actually, sorry, the actual easiest solution, and this is actually something that Stilson Kubo eighty four asked me, like, oh, is this something I should do? And he was asking, should he just have the races be there? but players can't play them. Like they exist in the world, but they are not a player option. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was like the players that he had, had already like, they wanted to like continue using those same characters or something like that. Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. I I don't recall if, uh, if he had players yet or if he was just making the campaign. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. And he's probably listening to this and like, yelling at his mp3 player but um (laughs) so the the absolute easiest option is to yeah they exist Mm story-wise you just don't need to come up with mechanics for them because players can't play them right i can understand that yeah because that's that that exists already in the game and it's like you know like the there are plenty of non-playable races and you know they're referred they're usually referred to as monsters but usually yeah but they're at least in the monster manual there's plenty of humanoid like you know, monster types that you could feasibly see as a playable race, but they're just not sure. You know, they're maybe a little bit more powerful, you know, off the bat, but you know, who knows? Not, not every Rakshasa is going to be, you know, super powerful. Although I don't know for sure. I don't know Rakshasas that well, <laughs> but uh, you can't play an angel. You can't play a demon. You can't play a pixie. You can't play a, you know, yeah. uh, you know, most constructs, you know, like you can't, you know, you can't play in, in most campaign settings in most world settings. You can't play a living construct like a Warforged. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll sort of pull from the experience of when we did our Dawn of Worlds game and then we made a, our roll 20, uh, our, our Patreon roll 20 campaign based on it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, we were creating races kind of whole hog. I, I didn't, I did not limit anybody to only making things that existed in D and D. And then after we made the world, I then had to sit down and say, okay, of the races that we made, are there any that are easy analogs for existing races? And so, okay, this one, this one, this one, and this one. Then of the remainders, 
are there any of these that I could easily make or, you know, tweak or or make a new race that a new player race that uh, fits that. But then there were a few that I just didn't feel like either it would be impossible or just more work than I was willing to put in to make a balanced player race of it. So I simply just said some of them players just can't play as them. I think there was like a race of uh, uh, dragon centaurs or something. There were four armed orcs. And I, you know, I just said nobody can play them. If someone had come to me and was like, I really want to play one though. Maybe I would have come up with something, but you know, I, I, I don't think anybody had any issue with there just being certain races that you just, that exist in the world that will be part of society, but are not playable races for players. And, you know, I, mm. I think most groups will be okay with that as long as it's stated at the beginning. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is one option. Second one is look at the existing fifth edition races and then figure out if any of them, uh, if any of them like, you know, are kind of an analog for something that exists. Now, the he gave three examples actually of which of of certain races that don't exist in uh, in fifth edition, and those are the Wilden, Shardmind, and Deva. I'm not too familiar with the Wilden or the Shardmind, but the Deva, I I've, I'm a big fan of Devas. I played a character for a while that was a Deva in fourth edition, and so I've I've always been hoping that they would come out with a Deva in fifth edition, and to my recollection, they have not. However. Specific mechanics aside, you could easily reflavor an Asimar to be a Deva. Sure. So you could take an existing race, which is the the Asimar, um, which di- actually, I'll say, didn't exist when 5th edition started. In the Dungeon Master's Guide, there was a section about, oh, right. um, about making a new race, and they used the Asimar as an example. So there was it was in the Dungeon Master's Guide as like an example of a new race. Yeah, but I believe, trying to think of which one. I think one of the books. I think it might have been Volos. Does have have real stats for an Asimar? So sure, you know. I wonder is it is it like way different than the one they gave example for? I I don't think so. I think it's pretty close. Okay, all right. I, I, I just think that would be funny. That would be funny, kind of like <clears throat> Warforged, but <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, I know. But um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to check to to make sure, and. Even if the SMR doesn't quite fit what you were thinking of as a Deva, you could probably still look at them and then like change one or two of their abilities to make them more like the Deva. They they story wise they were pretty similar, or mm. at least they were similar enough, you know. So taking an existing race and then either reflavoring them or slightly tweaking them, that's another option. Yeah. Um, the third option is. Look on DM's Guild. I just did a couple quick uh, cursory searches. I found the Wilden and the Shardmind in a $1 supplement that somebody's made. True, it's a dollar. And true, there's no guarantee that these are good or balanced. But, you know, if you're willing to to spend the dollar to find out, mm-hmm. you can look at it. If you like it, use it. If you don't like it, maybe tweak that. Tweak yeah. that into something that you do like. Yeah, start that as a bit as a you know starting point. Um, yeah. you know, always look at the reviews, look at the sure. ratings and stuff like that. You know, like if 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 you find something that if you find somebody who's basically made the race that you're looking for, and they got a lot of good reviews and 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 ratings, you're like, well, this is probably at the very least decently balanced because otherwise yeah. people would be upset about it. So like you know, take a look at it, and if it's not exactly what you want, you can just tweak it from there. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, if if it is specifically if it's races that that you're looking for, um, I think those are some pretty good options. Classes are a little bit more complicated, yeah. just because there's a lot more to a class, and it's going to affect a player's experience playing them a lot more than their race is. I think is you know the race is going to have some some storytelling, uh, storytelling implications and such, but like mechanics wise, most of it's going to be coming from their class. Right. So that's a little hard, especially because so much of what fourth edition specifically did is just so fundamentally different than what fifth edition is going for. So Mm. you're never going to get something that feels exactly like a fourth edition class. There are some things you can do that will be close. You can kind of approximate a fourth edition fighter by using like the Sentinel feet and uh, shield master and you know some other stuff but you know it's close enough it's, I, don't, I don't know try <laughs> to find something that at least feels good enough to you that might be something where it's better to just like you know, the players just can't do this you know just make it up make up whatever you want for the npcs and then the players have to settle for the cheap knockoff or whatever <laughs> sure you know um, and then, uh, there was sort of a little follow-up question to this and it was, does it break player immersion or present any real narrative problem if races from different editions appear in a newer edition game? Um, I don't think so. Now, different editions, especially if we're talking about specifically d and I'm sure Pathfinder has similar issues between first and second edition Pathfinder, but like in fourth edition D&D, they kind of played around with some of the established canon of various campaign settings mm-hmm. like forgotten realms they tore up forgotten realms in order to kind of level the playing field for all the new stuff they were going to be putting out mm-hmm. they had the spell plague come through and kill one of the go- or a bunch of the gods or something and destroy a bunch of whatever and so they came up with all these like story things to justify fourth edition being different and I don't know if any of the particular races were tied into any of that kind of stuff that fourth edition did, but I don't think it's, I don't think any player is going to be like, well, wait a minute. The shard mine shouldn't be in this campaign because they were a product of so-and-so that doesn't exist in Faerun anymore. I don't think that's going to be a thing. Yeah. You have it be that they're just a variant of that, that came, had a different origin or something. Sure. Sure. Or, Let's say a player says like, well, wait a minute. Why is there a shard mind here? And then you as a DM just look them straight in the eyes and be like, yeah, I don't know. Why is that? Right. Yeah, sure. You know, imply that you have some sort of a plan. Maybe you do. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you don't. Yeah. By the time <laughs> the player, the player's going to forget about it. Don't, don't worry. Just go, just go on with the campaign. Worry about that later if it even comes up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like, I like that idea. Just, just imply you have some, <laughs> some grand scheme. Yeah. That is weird. Isn't it? Yeah, that is very yeah. strange. Gosh. How unusual. How could that have happened? <laughs> how unusual, exactly. <laughs> Who so, can say? Yeah. So I, I'm sure other people have had, maybe not exactly this question, but I'm sure other people have had a similar question. With Even if, like, let's say you are adapting some other RPG into D&D or vice versa, mm-hmm. I'm sure that you can still apply some of those principles, like, look at what exists, Try to find a way if you can reflavor something, reflavor something, or just have it be there and just the players can't use it, you know? Yeah. I don't think people will get too upset as long as they are still having a good time with the rest of the game. Of course. All right. Our next question comes from the Beverage Tea on Discord, and they ask, 
How do you feel about starting session one in medius res uh, rather than a starting point like in a tavern? Yeah. So what that means is uh, starting out a session rather than saying, okay, so you guys are all hanging out at the tavern or, oh, you're all hanging out at wherever or you meet in the market, whatever. Instead, just being like a dagger comes flying by your face. Roll initiative. And right. then just starting out the session in the middle of the action. Mm-hmm. Or, or like the DM would basically pre-roll initiative and start like at turn two, you know? Sure, like, sure. Just like some some crap's already gone down and like it is, you know, it's the fighter's turn, you know, like the, the, the you know, the, the cleric just got, the, the cleric just got hit or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Like so you're, you're, you're right in the thick of it, just right off the gate. Yeah. I don't think I've ever played in a campaign that did that, but mm-hmm. I love the idea of it. Yeah. I would love if the campaign started with, it's your turn. What do you do? There's a <laughs> yeah. bad guy in front of you. You've got your weapon in hand. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. What do I do? <laughs> I mean, there's always, there's always that, like, that thought of, like, okay, like, how do I get all my players together? Like, like yeah. what's the justification for everybody being in a group? Like, just throw them in a, in a battle immediately and just mm-hmm. be like, well, okay. Yeah, I mean, that, I, that, that might, like, for those who, for the players that might take things a little too seriously, they might start attacking the other players. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I don't know. I like who knows. Who knows? Um, I well, you, you do raise an interesting point. If you are going to do something like this, whether it's starting in the middle of a combat or in the middle of something else, right? Uh, the players not having enough context for what's happening could lead to problems. Mm-hmm. So you do want to make sure that the players have enough information to to accurately, you know, do whatever their first action is. If you if you en- envision them fighting some bad guys, then you need to at least give them enough information to let them know that the other people are bad guys and maybe their party members are not bad guys. Right. Have it, have it be an obvious enemy, like, you know, zombies or, you know, just, just something that's like very, very obvious. Like, you know, you're in a, you're in a tavern. It's not just a brawl amongst everybody. It is the tavern has been attacked by kobolds or something. I'll actually, I didn't even think I was going to bring this up, but I, I will bring this up for this. I, I've brought up many times the the podcast, the film reroll podcast mm-hmm. where they, they play GURPS, but they take movies and then adapt them into role-playing games. They, uh, around the end of last year, beginning of this year, they were doing a very, very ambitious project. They took the movie Memento and then right. played that out as an RPG. For anyone who's not familiar with the movie Memento, it is a movie about a man with uh, short-term memory loss. And the way that it's done, the way that it's gotten across to the viewer is you, you're watching the movie in reverse order. So every scene, the viewer and the main character don't know how he got to where he is until the next scene, they see the lead up to that scene. And then the next scene, they see the lead up to that scene and then so on and so on. So it starts with the end of the movie and then you spend the entire movie trying to figure out how he got there, why he got there, and so on. And because of the character, he will just sometimes just randomly phase out of his memory and he'll just, he won't have any memory of what he was doing a minute ago. There's a point in the movie, for example, he's being chased by a guy who's shooting at him and he comes to in the middle of this fight, in the middle of this chase, and he doesn't know what's going on. He thinks he's the one chasing the other guy. And so he starts running 
at him until the guy starts firing at him. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa I don't want to go there. And then he turns around and goes the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, when they were doing the film re-roll, we're, we're doing their version of it. The podcast is played backwards. So when you listen to it, you are hearing the last scene of the of the game. So for the for the listener, that is how they get it across. But additionally, they can't have the players knowing what happened immediately previous. So every time one of the every time the main character loses his focus, they have a different player come in and play as the character for the following scene. Oh man! So every time a scene starts, it's a new player who does not know how they got to where they currently are. Oh my goodness. The way that he loses focus is basically anytime he makes a roll of any kind, he also has to make essentially a will save. It's an easy will save and he gets three failures before he loses it, but he'll be literally in the middle of a fight or having like just uh, convinced someone that he's, they need to do something for him. And then he comes to and he's like, what in the world am I doing? Who are you? Why am I here? And it's, it's great, and it is actually a great example of starting something in media's res because every scene of that podcast, and it's, it's like seven or eight episodes, every scene of that seven or eight episode podcast starts off in media's res because every time, it's, it's never at an opportune time. It's always in the middle of something that yeah. a new player has to come in, immediately assess what the heck is going on around them, and then make a judgment call based on no information. Right. And so there are times where it goes really well, where not knowing how they got there served to drive the, the story in a really interesting way. Other times, one player will be in the middle of trying to achieve a goal, and then the next player immediately disregards that goal because they didn't know they had that goal, and they go off and do something else. <laughs> so I say this all to mean that if you want the players to not go off and do something completely different than you intended them to, just make sure that you give enough information that they can make a, a snap decision and know what their goals are, uh, where their objective is, and what their tools are, the tools are they have on hand in order to achieve that objective. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you got to give them as much context as you as you're as you're able. Yeah, it might be a better. It might kind of necessitate players being better better at improv. I feel like starting off in a tavern is already kind of, you know, you kind of, if you're not just going to sit there and sit on your hands until somebody, a quest giver shows up and tells you what to do. Improv can be really important for starting off in a tavern as well. But when you start off in media's res where you need to do something, the, the players need to be doing something to further the scene. I feel like it's a little bit more important that they be really good at improv. So if your players are not particularly good at improv, maybe try to ease them in with a starting point, maybe even a familiar starting point. Yeah. Um, you want to just move on to the next one or I guess. Yeah. Uh, our next question comes from just your local Safeway on Reddit. And they ask, one of my players had a class feature that it completely ruined my adventure. Was I in the wrong to house rule that ability away? Yeah. So this 
question is probably something that a lot of DMs, uh, well, whether they question whether it was wrong or not, I don't know. But I'm sure a lot of DMs run into a situation where they plan out an adventure and they didn't account for one of the player's abilities. And then the player brings up that ability. And then it's like, well, shoot. All right, guys, what do you want to do for the next four hours? Because I got nothing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in this particular case, um, just your local Safeway, uh, I will say that it was kind of they they did they made kind of a, a a bonehead move in that it was like a tenth level adventure and the basically the the adventure was the party stuck in a pit and then they sure. didn't realize that one of the players could fly out of that pit so in that particular case yeah they were in the wrong to be to 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 build an adventure where that was the obstacle at such a high level sure but. Just kind of as a as a more general thing, rather than dealing with that specific situation, um, you know, I personally think that you you shouldn't just say it doesn't work. You can quote unquote house rule it away, but don't let the players know you're house ruling it away. Do what I said earlier, where one of the players goes to fly out of that pit, and then, gosh, you know, it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> Your flight doesn't work. <laughs> and the player's like, well, wait, but no, my flight always works. Yeah, it does always work, doesn't it? <laughs> I wonder why it's not working this time. You can figure out why later. They don't need to know that you're just, well, you know. I feel like you want to be careful with that because then yeah. I think that can that can create some resentment and stuff. Because like when it is sort of just like you're on the fly changing rules yeah. to to like to to suit the event the you know to suit the adventure. Especially when it's something that a rule that directly involves a character, like a player's like abilities. Sure. It's like, this is a character that they made. They made it for a specific reason because they wanted to do a cool thing. And you're telling them, no, you can't use that cool thing right now. Why? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Like, like if they made a fire mage and then suddenly, oh, whoops, all of the enemies are immune to fire. That's right. not fun for the player at all. Yeah. So like you definitely want to be careful and try to be deliberate about deliberate, but you know, or like. I don't know. And honestly, might be more. It might not be as fun, but it, it, I think it gives less room for things like resentment to be like, uh, you know, like, do you, do you mind if you know? Do you mind if we? I don't know. Like, you address the players directly and be like, I I completely forgot you had this ability. Sure. Uh, can we? You know. You know. Do you mind if I hand wave something to? You know. Do you mind if I hand wave something to make it so you can't fly right now? Yeah. Um, you know, especially like, you know, especially if you're a newer DM, not that I'm, you know, not that I assume that they're the, in this case, they're a newer DM, but I feel like mm -hmm. that, that is, that is something that might come up more often for newer DMs. Yeah. I'm sure newer DMs run into this all the time. Right. Cause they don't, you know, they don't know every little ability that every character can have, especially yeah. with, you know, the further an addition goes, the more character options there are, the harder it is to know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you know, I feel like it is one of those like, oh crap, I forgot you can fly. And I had this whole thing designed. Do you mind, you know, do you guys mind if I hand wave something real quick and make it so you can't, you can't get out of here quite so easy. I promise there's a way to get out or like, you know, I, pro I promise this will be still be fun. I just need, you know, you know, like I, I feel like, you know, I feel like you could usually try to, you can usually try to do that for, for, for most groups. Sure. Um, yeah, probably the. 
if you can't think of a creative and fun way to get around it or to account for it, um, probably the most mature thing, yeah, is to just tell the players, okay, uh, I really biffed this one. I did not realize that you had that ability. Um, you know, t- talk to them, see what they think. I'm sure players might be a little bit disappointed, but we'll understand. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody's ever uh, gone their entire life without running into a situation like that. Uh, in some way. And so let me, I guess, amend what I was saying earlier about like uh, taking away abilities on the fly. I'm not saying you should. If you were to do the like, oh yeah, gosh, I don't know why it's not working. You kind of have to have a really, you have to come up with something really good to justify it, or it is going to feel like you're just making it up and it's going to feel like a bad move on the, on the DMs part. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you don't want it to feel like you're screwing over that player in particular. Sure, sure. So, you know, if you can, depending on what the ability is, you know, of course, the, ex- the example, again, was flight. But, like, I'm sure there are other other abilities that people have run into. Depending on the ability, there's always something that counters it. There's all You know, there's no ability that can't be countered by something. If the example is flight and the players are trying to climb, you know, use it to fly out of a pit, uh, there can be... Other flying creatures that when they see the part one of the party members is flying, they fly over and they knock them back down, or they cast dispel magic on them, or or whatever. Uh, you know, dispel magic is something that is kind of designed for exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for buffs you can get rid of buffs. For items you can, uh, you know, for for items or for weapons and such, there are things that you can do to either destroy or take them away. Again, those aren't that's not necessarily fun for the players, so we use those sparingly. But um here's another thing. Here's a thing that I'm sure is is it's probably not always going to be an option, but it's an option more often than you think, and that's let them win. Let them do it. Yeah. The players are okay. If they're if the adventure is built around them being stuck in a pit. They may, in five years, look back and be like, oh, man, do you guys remember that time we were stuck in that pit? That was a fun adventure. Maybe. But I feel like the odds are much higher that they'll look back at that adventure and be like, do you guys remember that time we were stuck in that pit? That was the whole adventure. And we had fly, so we just flew out. (laughs) Like, it's going to be a fond memory in some way or another. Right. You might not want it to be sort of at your expense as the dungeon master. Sure. But the important thing is that the party had a good time. Hey, you biffed it. We all have that sometimes. Everybody had a good laugh. You played video games instead of playing D&D for the rest of the the night. Fine. Who cares? Yeah. Don't stress over it. Especially don't do it in such a way that makes the players look back and be like, do you guys remember that time that we were stuck in that pit? And the DM just kept telling me that my flight just didn't work for literally no reason, except that he didn't want my flight to work because he had forgotten I had flight. Right. You don't want that <laughs> fond recollection. Right. You don't want the memory of, uh, you don't want the memory of them, you know, thinking about the, the bad DM they had that one time. Exactly. I mean, I'll even say DMs don't worry. Players don't think about that. Players rarely think about that kind of stuff. DMs think about the, the mistakes they made far more than the players think of the mistakes they made. Right. Yeah. That being said, just like try to don't worry about it. Just just let them let them feel awesome once in a while. If it's not something like flight, if it's something like, oh, I forgot the player had that 
uh, spell that, you know, could one-shot the bad guy. And then they one-shotted the bad guy. Players love one-shotting the bad guy. It's uh-huh. awesome. They talk about it forever. Right. It's, yeah. <laughs> now, I've said in the past that if if an adventure or an encounter or whatever, if an obstacle can be overcome by one simple thing, whether it's one role, one ability, one action, whatever, it probably wasn't a very meaningful obstacle to begin with. Right. So if flying out of the pit is is one of the obstacles... They also have to deal with, oh, and there's also giants outside the pit that like throw rocks at you. Okay, that's another thing. If, oh yeah, if you fly too high or if you climb too high, there's like a field of energy that, I don't know, shrinks you down or something. Like the more things that you can add onto, the more layers you can add onto the obstacle in every situation is going to make it more meaningful. It's going to reduce the odds of there just being that one thing you didn't think of because that one thing you didn't think of only got rid of one of the layers. There's still the the giants and there's still the field of energy. Right. So you just try, generally speaking, you should try to get into the habit of having your obstacles be more than just one layer. Maybe not always. Sometimes it's just one layer and sometimes the players get through it no problem. And that's fine. But if, it, if you're building the entire encounter around this pit, it shouldn't have been just the pit to begin with. It should have been the pit and the giants and the field of energy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there was a hidden thing in the pit that they were supposed to find that was a key to whatever. I don't know. There should always be multiple layers for like the overall thing. It should never just be one single obstacle. Yeah, some sort yeah. of invisible, cre- invisible creature in the pit that grapples them or something. Yeah, there you go got a lasso so when you start to fly just pulls you right back down yeah so yeah just just unfortunately if if their class feature completely ruined your adventure your adventure was probably really simple so just get get more creative with your adventures i guess or just accept that the players are gonna overcome obstacles more often yeah that's not necessary that's you're not a failure if the players get through your dungeon easily right because that might just happen it might just happen anyway, no matter how good you make it, because the yeah. dice roll that way. Yeah, exactly. So I think that'll do it for our regular questions for today. Mm-hmm. But we do still have our social media questions. Our last social media question was, how often do you like to level up? Do you recall what your answer was, Jeff? Um, I feel like I feel like it no, no quicker than uh, every other session. Okay. But if it if even if it's like every third session or just it de- really depends on milestones and experiences something like that, but I feel like no faster than every other every other session. Sure. Um, I think I said uh, I, I was at either every second or third session. I think leveling up relatively quickly is preferable. But you know, if the game's fun, I'm not. I'm I'm. Leveling up is probably on like the the fourth or fifth of my of the things I'm interested in. Yeah, it's like as somebody who likes to build characters, you know, twenty levels ahead. Like, sure, a lot of times I'm like I'm excited to get to specific levels, and so I'm like, oh, I want to level up to. I I can't wait till I get to this level or whatever. So I'm eager, but I feel like yeah. once I get that like signature ability that I'm looking for, I'm like, it, I I could just play at the same level forever. I, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a good point. So, like, yeah, like I feel like early on, I'm like, all right, can we just level up, please? But then, like, as <laughs> right. you get to like the like you know the 
you know, mid early to mid late at levels, I'm like, hey, it's whatever. Let's let's yeah. just keep playing Adventure Time. I don't think I've ever run a first level adventure where I didn't have the players level up to second level by the end of the first session. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but like I, I feel like that's usually a conscious thought on my on my mind is like, we need to get them out of level one. Right. Either yeah. that or I just don't start them at level one. <laughs> you know. Over on Facebook, Sean M says, with the story beats and often just after a big win or just before an even bigger battle. Mm. If I have a regular weekly game, then every three to four sessions or once a month, give you a chance to flex different character muscles and keep things interesting. Yeah. Making sure that the players have time to use their abilities, I think, is something you said uh, last week, Jeff. Or right. Last time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that, that's important. Um, over on Reddit, Alistar the Minotaur says, I'd say generally every two or three sessions, maybe four at high levels. I want there to be long enough in between for me to know what kind of upgrades my character has while also feeling a definitive sense of progression. And yeah, I would say like the problem with having a long time between levels is just that you start to feel like you're not really progressing. You know, you might be progressing the story, but like you as a character are not necessarily improving. Right. Whether that whether that's true or not, you know. But if it can feel that way, if if you haven't gotten some sort of a tangible increase to to stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, at the very least, you want to be like, yeah, some sort of some sort of gain. Like even if it's like throw throw them a magic item here and there or something. Mm-hmm. If you feel like it's a long long time in between levels. Sure. Uh, over on Twitter, Adam G says, I don't do a lot of multi-level games. As a DM, I pick a range of one to three levels based on the adventure and level up players based on how far through we are. And that makes sense, especially if you're doing like one shots or you're just doing like one adventure. You can kind of just plan out, okay, the players are going to level up when they get here. Mm-hmm. Then they're going to level up when they get here. Yeah. And they'll be done. Yeah. yeah plot based or milestone based level levels. Or, you know, I never have any issue with that. Uh, Darren W. says, I usually follow the first few levels indicated in a module, but homebrew is more fluid and depends on how hard the actual adventure becomes and how original my party reacts. Like smashing through a barn wall when making an entrance. Shaking my head. <laughs> yeah. I, I See, that's one thing that I do miss from the days of giving out experience. Because like I, I, I don't use experience anymore. Like when I'm running a game, I usually just either do milestones or the players just level up when it feels right or when enough of them have asked me if they can level up. Sure. Uh, and I, but I do miss being able to give out experience to the player, a player that did something really clever. Yeah, and then you know, and then that little bit of experience you give out is what puts them over the level. Yeah. Like that, that those those are exciting moments, you know. Yeah, like inspiration has kind of taken that over, but still, it's it's sure it's not quite the same. Yeah, uh, that's Carl with a K says every couple of adventures, even when I'm using milestones, I keep a rough tab of how much XP everyone gets. I also give XP for clever solutions and role playing, and level up accordingly. And that makes sense. So like using yeah. XP for the dungeon master to keep track of things, but the players level mm. up when they reach a good milestone and when the, and or when the XP is at a good amount. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Like, a, like you do either, or you do like you, you keep track of XP mm-hmm. and if they haven't reached the amount of XP, like if they're close to leveling, but not quite. And you, and you reach a milestone, you might just, you might just bump them up to the next level just to kind of, you, sure. you know, 
just sort of, you know, bridge that gap and then start them off at, you know, the XP they would have at that level. Sure. Um, so yeah, you just, yeah, keep, keep track of XP, but don't necessarily keep to it all the time, you know? Sure. Uh, over on Discord, Skillsandkupo84 says, Honestly, as seldom as possible. I feel like I may be the only one to say that. But with my current work schedule, if I don't level up immediately after the game session, I likely will not remember to do it at all. And after sitting on my wooden desk chair for a number of hours, which were fun enough to distract me from the discomfort, I usually don't want to have to read through a whole list of available spells to pick from at my new level. Maybe I need a more comfortable chair. Maybe I need a more comfortable job. <laughs> Who knows anymore? But it seems to me that the parts of your character that most often benefit from the level up are the combative parts. And I'm pretty sure I've established that I will role play around combat whenever it is possible or makes sense. Fourth edition tied more of your stat modifiers for skill checks to half of your level. And I felt more incentivized to level up in that edition. And that's a good point. When there is, uh, when there is more out of combat benefit to leveling up, even if it is just skill checks, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that can be more incentive to level up more often when it's not there. Yeah. I, I guess I could see someone just being okay with whatever level they're currently at, because if they're avoiding combat anyway, what does it matter? Right. Yeah. And I think we did, we did bring up the whole thing where like leveling up is really mo in, in most, in most, uh, games it's about the combat. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, it's just different play styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peace Roy Pancake says, I'm going to go the opposite of Stillskin Koopa E4 and say, as often as possible. I'm half joking, of course. It's more along the lines of when it feels right, but I tend to land on the side of fast rather than slow a lot. In our old D&D campaign, we leveled up when it felt right. I'm completely open to feedback on that from my players. We were still only level 9 or 10 at the end. They started at level 3. In our most recent 13th Age campaign, we have leveled up almost every session or at least every other. We'll probably slow it down a little once we get to the higher levels, but for now, we're going at a brisk pace. Brisk. Yeah. I remember when I was playing as Ichi in that campaign, uh, they actually, they house-ruled, we were using experience, but they house-ruled the experience to make levels take progressively longer and longer and longer to level up. So, like, I think it was levels like 1 through 10 were normal XP, levels 10 to 15 you required twice as much to level up each time. So like whatever the amount was between 10 and 11, that got doubled. Then the right. number between 11 and 12, that got doubled. And then from 15 to 20, it got tripled. So like the idea being that it takes forever to get from like level 17 to level 18. And we still made it to level 20 or above in that yeah. campaign. So, huh. Yeah. I mean, but in that campaign, like we were, a lot of it was super hardcore combat. A lot of it was super hardcore role-playing. It was a really good mix. And there was also lots of bonus XP giving out, being given out for clever role-playing, for clever ideas and so on. So it was kind of Wild West. Everything, <laughs> everything went. Yeah, game, everything goes. Uh, Debrasaur says, once every three sessions is my sweet spot. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, see what Scribe says. I always level up from one to three quickly or just start at level three. Besides that, I used to be in the seldom camp because I like long, complex stories. Now I'm in the frequently camp because when I start a full campaign, I want to commit to finishing it. And that's tough with scheduling. So probably once every two to three sessions. Yeah. 
And then FloofyShoob says, Coming from 2nd edition, I still prefer you earn your XP and it comes when it comes. I don't want to level so fast that I don't have plenty of opportunities to utilize the abilities that I gain each level. The system was designed such that your characters went on tons of adventures instead of just a single story arc. It's become even less of an issue for me now that I play mostly Palladium's Heroes Unlimited, where a character has access to most of their power and versatility from day one. Levels only give you numeric bonuses. More variety open up from the get-go, giving players tons of stuff to try and GMs an easier time because they have a long time to get used to what a player's abilities are. And taking away that hunger for chasing power, variety, and utility through leveling instead of being a rabbit-hunting rube for five levels, a force to be reckoned with for five levels, and then an unruly band of demigods for seven to ten levels more that all go by in the blink of an eye. And don't get me started on capstone abilities. You climb your way through the levels and finally get the ability that truly cements your power, but oops, the game is over, so you never got to use it even once. Oh, right. Yeah, some very good points in there. Uh, capstone abilities are kind of a bit of slap in the face to players because it's like, yeah, well, when are you going to, when is it going to matter that you can wild shape unlimited number of times? You're right. only doing one more adventure and then it's over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was uh, that was our last social media question. Our next social media question was, your character has to help you move. <laughs> Are they going to help you, hinder you, or something else entirely? <laughs> this is not at all inspired by the fact that I had to take apart a couch and transport a couch <laughs> and then transport a new couch in boxes back to my house today. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll just say that uh, my character is big and strong, so she would help me. A lot. <laughs> right. Uh, how about you, Jeff? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Krill uh, helping me move. Eh, you know, he might. He might. <laughs> he might yeah. actually. He might actually help. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah, you know what? No, I'd I'd say it'd be pretty good because uh, uh, Krill Krill's uh Krill's good at climbing, so I don't know. Maybe you can like help me like hang hang stuff up or. Or get stuff upstairs or something easily. Sure. So yeah, yeah, get up I, in that crawl space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'd I'd say I'd say maybe it'd be it'd be more of a help than a, than a hindrance, but okay. um, it might be awkward. Fair enough. I mean, he's got a tail, so who knows? Maybe that, that would get in the way. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Probably step on it a couple times by mistake. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, that'll do it for our questions for today. But before we close out, let's wind down. Let's relax. Let's take a deep breath. <sighs> let's remember those who have come before us who have given their lives that we may have a better world to live in as we toss another log onto the funeral pyre today's funeral pyre was submitted by sean m via email uh again a long time ago sean m usually submits stuff through facebook and this one i found in my uh saved in my email from a while ago anyway mm. here's a funeral pyre story they call me Tim. <laughs> Tim, the tiefling warlock of an elder god, is an interesting character. He's not evil, but maybe a little evil-ish. After him and his party colleagues had been through many adventures in Waterdeep, one faction decided to attack their ghost-bartended tavern, Spirits. Seeking answers, they followed leads and left trails of blood until uncovering a butcher-barber-style gang safe house, where their enemies were being ground up into sausage meat and sold to the local pie shop. Hmm. After 
accidentally dropping the safe house chief into his own grinder, the party set to rigging the building and walking away down the street all cool as the building explodes behind them. Also, they may have forgotten about the squatters in the basement. Oh, no. This may have been noticed by the gang's ninjas. And shortly after the party is ambushed, Uh a saved fear spell and a few critical hits later, Tim was unconscious. He failed his first save and critically failed his second. The party rallies to recover, but their friend is now dead. Tim's body lies in state in the clubhouse above spirits. Hmm. Now, here's the thing. Early in Tim's life, he was an expelled wizard school student. A janitor died. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) He kept an interest in taboo knowledge, and while at home working on a ritual, he was pulled into a portal. He recalls nothing but glimpses of things like non-Euclidean space and horrors I would dare not describe, for you surely would go mad. He exited the portal unaware of where his apartment was and with 60 years added to his life. He used to be 26. (laughs) This is when he made new friends. Well, after lying in state for some time, the party decided to mourn him with a wake. At this time, the body suddenly disappears in blue smoke and a portal opens up and out walks a 46-year-old Tim with no knowledge of his other self's history with the party. The party explains everything and after a time, he became comfortable with them, including getting to know his pet familiar gazer, Yogg. One day there may be a retirement village story for Tim. It may involve reaching an age where he suddenly vanishes to fulfill his past slash future self's history. <laughs> well, all right. Oh boy that that was a that was a, a that was a roller coaster. Yeah, that was pretty. I guess. Yeah, that was neat. Uh, so I, I mean, I I don't really have a great send off. Let's just raise a glass in memory of Tim and tell him good luck in the future slash past. <laughs> Click. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for today. To submit questions for us to discuss, items for the Dragon's Horde, or stories for the Funeral Pyre, please email us at interpartyconflict at gmail.com. For show notes, links to media mentioned on the show, and running lists of questions and magic items, go to interpartyconflict.com. Join the discussion on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Reddit, we're on our Interparty Discord, we're on Twitter at InPartyConflict. Check those out for our weekly social media questions. Your answers might end up on the show. You can find us on the podcatcher of your choice. We are on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you download podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe, or just tell a friend. We no longer have the top tiers of our Patreon, but if you want to just give like a dollar and get a ton of our backlog of bonus content, go for it. Every little bit helps, and I want everybody to be able to listen to all this stuff, so go check yeah. it out. Uh, Jeff, tell us about Friend Quest. Friend Quest is a YouTube channel where you can watch us play video games. There you go. Also, if you head over to bit.ly slash interpartyconflict, you can tell us what some of your favorite memories were of the podcast. And if you do, you'll get two free printable board games, courtesy of the great people over at hollandspiel.com. And our music is made by Boxcat Games from Nameless the Hackers RPG. So, Jeff, until next time. What is this? Does it say second star on the left and straight on till Christmas? What the heck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs>